Grab your Bibles. We are carrying on. We are in Second Advent, and we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, all four weekends. Uh, we're anchoring today's messages primarily in the book of Isaiah, because Matthew points us back to Isaiah 7. And then if you want to keep your thumb in another place, uh, you can have it in Psalm 46, uh, because we're going to read Psalm 46 together as well. So those three key texts. So one of my favorite Christmas readings is not really all about Christmas, but it goes like this. John Eldridge wrote it. He says this, that the gospel says that we who are God's beloved created a cosmic crisis. It says that we were stolen from our true love and that he launched the greatest campaign in history to get us back. God created us for intimacy with him. And when we turned our back on him, he promised to come for us. He sent personal messengers. He used beauty and affliction to recapture our hearts. And after all else failed, he conceived the most daring of plans. And then he gets to this little chunk here that's really about Christmas. Under the cover of night, he stole into the enemy's camp incognito, the ancient of days disguised as a newborn. The incarnation, as Philip Yancey reminds us, was a daring raid into enemy territory. The whole world lay under the power of the evil one, and we were held in the dungeons of darkness. God risked it all to rescue us. It's a great quote. The Christmas story is really the story of God's rescue. And that's what we're focusing on during the five Sundays of Christmas. And I said five because this is a unique year. Uh, it rotates out based on uh, leap year. And sometimes Christmas falls on a Sunday. Most years it doesn't. This year, Christmas Day is a Sunday. So we actually get five Sundays to talk about the Advent theme. It won't happen again till 2033, 11 years from now. There'll be another Christmas Day on a Sunday. It's a unique year. We're looking at Matthew's gospel, the first two chapters, and we're grabbing different names and attributes, but all under the big umbrella, the savior that we need, the rescue story that Eldridge writes about. So you've heard us say it often around here that Jesus is the central character of this book. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The four gospels unpack his life, death, his resurrection, his earthly life, the letters, the New Testament letters unpack and explain the life of Jesus. And then the final book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, reveals for us the coming day, a future prophecy of what is yet to come in the final culmination. But the center character of this book, this whole book points us to Jesus for this primary reason that it was the Father's will, God the Father's will, to bring us salvation through the person and work of his son. And so he is the focal point of what we call the gospel. And if you're not familiar with that word, it's a churchy word. I mean, you've heard it thrown around, but what does that word gospel really mean? And the word gospel simply means news. It can be something religious or in the original context, both the Bible and the first century. It could be news about anything. It's a declaration. It's an announcement. But when you couple it to the scriptures, it is the good news about something. It is the good news that God is up to something, that God is setting the world straight. It's the good news. So J.I. Packer, who lived to be almost 200 years old, used to say that you could summarize the gospel down to three words. If you want the entire gospel in just three words, it's these three words, God saves sinners. 
Now, obviously, you could write volumes under every single one of those words, and volumes have been written about every single one of those words. But the simple summary of the gospel is that statement that God saves sinners. It is what the Bible declares. That God, through Jesus, has done everything that needs to be done for rebellious, sinful humans to be reconciled to a holy, loving, and just God. That Jesus Christ has accomplished everything that needs to be done. That's the gospel message. And that God has revealed his plan to us. That he has revealed it to us through creation. Creation screams at us that there is a designer, there is a creator. He reveals it to us through the written word, through this book. He reveals it to us through his spirit. His spirit communes with our spirit. Deep calls to deep. There's something within the conscience, within the confession, within the mind of the heart that cries out for the God consciousness that eternity is placed on our hearts, and most ultimately, he reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So this fall, we've been studying John's gospel, and you may remember back at the beginning, in week one, we looked at chapter one, verse 14, that he, the word, Jesus Christ, the logos, the meaning in the universe, God himself took on human flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as the son from the father, full of grace and truth. Both those words are critical. It is the kind of people we want to be, full of grace and full of truth. Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the bottom line is this, our God is a pursuing God. The God of Christianity, the God of the scriptures is a God who comes near to us. And unlike every other world religion, it is not humanity trying to reach out to God. That is every other world religion, trying to earn, trying to merit, trying to reach God. Christianity turns that on its head and says, no, this is about God seeking you. God coming after you, God looking for you, God being with you, God wooing and God awakening. He is indeed the savior we need. So the themes we're looking at, that he is our peace, he is our hope, he is our joy, he is our love. We look at the reasons he came. He came to redeem and reveal and to reign and to reconcile. We look at various names, that he is Jesus, we looked at last weekend. He is Emmanuel, he is the king, he is also the child of Bethlehem, and, and many, many more. But in these weekends of Advent, those themes that we look at, I think the most intimate of all of them is this particular weekend. The most personal and most comforting and most endearing to us as we look at the name Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, the God who comes near. So let's remind ourselves of the text. The story that we're jumping into the middle of here is in Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. The birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That was last weekend's text. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
And they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. They had no sexual relations until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's our story, and what I hope you're going to see as we dig into the layers of this story is this one key thought, that Jesus Christ is the stability we need in chaotic times. That if you take nothing else with you this weekend, that remind yourself of this truth. Many of you will know this inherently, and you're saying in your mind and your heart already, yes and amen, I know this to be true. But every person in this room needs to understand this, that Jesus Christ is the only source of stability that we have in chaotic times. He understands the chaos that swirls around us. He sees the macro stories. He sees wars and rumors of wars. He also knows the micro stories, our personal stories, our pain and our uncertainties. He knows our aloneness. He knows when we are grieving. He knows what we fear. He knows when we face sickness or pain. He knows the macro and he knows the micro. And specific to this context, speaking to Joseph, he knows that Joseph right now in this moment is freaking out. And rightly so, right? Think about the situation. His fiance, not yet his wife, and not yet sleeping together because they have not formally come together as husband and wife, is now pregnant. And Joseph's world is upside down. And you can only imagine, if you try to get inside his mind, how he must have felt. He knew full well that this child is not his child. They were not stupid people in the first century. They knew how babies were made. And he knows what he knows what he knows, that this child is not his. And then he gets this angel visit that says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And the summary of this story is this is all part of a greater plan. And what we're going to see from the context that God walks with us and alongside of us and then when it looks like and when it might feel like to us that all hell is breaking loose over our lives, that God is the God who comes near to us. That God is most intimately In those moments, God with us. And what we're really looking at is the withness of God. And Joseph, in essence, if we put it into our language, is told, chillax, buddy, chillax. There is a plan that is unfolding. And it was laid down centuries ago. But Joseph, you can trust me that I'm the stability that you are going to need as you walk through this assignment that you have been given. And I think if Joseph were given a reading assignment, there would be no better reading assignment for him than a song from their songbook, a chorus in Psalm 46 that begins and ends this way. The book ends of Psalm 146. Joseph, remind yourself, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. And then the last verse of that psalm says, be still. And the Hebrew scholars tell us it's not a quiet, oh, calm down, be quiet, be still. It's be still. It's would you please shut up? That's how the Hebrew puts it. Would you be quiet? I am the Lord. 
Would you know that I am God? I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. There is that phrase. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If Joseph was giving a reading assignment, I can't think of any better one. Joseph, what you need to know is this. The God is with you. He sees, he knows, he understands. Be still and know that I am God. More than any other name that we're going to study, this one is the most intimate. So Matthew 1, and 23 are our focus, and it is written, we are told by Matthew, to fulfill a prophecy. And you're like, okay, so what prophecy was that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's where we're going to go. We're going to spend most of our time in the prophetic text, Isaiah chapter 7, and the context there in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. Now, if you don't know this story, you need to know that Isaiah, of all the Old Testament prophets, was the great granddaddy of them all. He is the big dog a biblical prophecy. He has been called the evangelical prophet because Isaiah's book has more to say about Jesus Christ than any of the other prophets. His ministry spanned 50 years. Like, think that through. He was the prophet, the speaker, the teacher, the leader, the spiritual voice for 50, five decades over the lifetime of four kings. Uh, Isaiah 1 tells us that the vision of Isaiah, which he saw during Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So let's put it in our day. So it's 2022. If you go back 50 years, the prime minister was, oh, Trudeau. Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And 50 years later, Justin Trudeau. Imagine if you were the spiritual leader for the nation for that entire five decades. Or if you're from south of the border like me, it was Richard Nixon up to Joe Biden. He gave oversight to the spiritual uh, pulse of the nation during those days. And the specific text that Matthew refers to is Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. There's our text. So what is happening in Isaiah 7? Well, it's important because King Ahaz is a bad dude. Ahaz is ruling in Judah, and he is not a God-fearing king. He is not a God-honoring man. His father and his grandfather were. His father, Jotham, his grandfather, Uzziah, did honor the Lord, but this grandson, Ahaz, did not. He did not seek the Lord. He, he built altars to Baal. He forged images. He even burned some of his own sons. Imagine this, the king of the land putting his own baby boys on the altar, that, that Molech that would forged to hold out its hands and built a fire inside this metal altar and the hands would get red hot and they would put a little baby on those hands and literally burn that baby to Molech. This king did that. Second Chronicles 28 says, and the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz for he had made Judah act sinfully and had been unfaithful to the Lord. Well, yes, he had been. And there is so much to the story that we don't have time to unpack, but you need to know at least the short version that even in the midst of God's judgment, God lifting his hand of blessing off the nation, you also have the promise of God's mercy and the promise of God's grace. So in Isaiah 7, Ahaz gets news that Syria and Israel have formed an alliance in the north and they are coming to attack. And verse, chapter 7, verse 2, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, 
and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You're going to be invaded. You're fearful. It's like the Ukrainians hearing that the Russians are coming to invade. They're shaking in fear. Put it in our language, Ahaz is freaking out, and rightly so. And so God sends Isaiah to speak to him. And he says this in verse three and four, the Lord said to Isaiah, go and meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, a very specific location, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps, these two kings from the north. So what is happening here? Well, Ahaz is making preparations to be invaded. Ahaz is preparing for the worst. And one of the most critical defenses for the city would be a secure source of water. And Jerusalem is a walled city, but there is no spring. There is no well within the walls. All of Jerusalem's water has to come by aqueduct from outside the city, by conduits brought in. And so an invading army, if they want to cripple the city, all they need to do is capture the springs, capture the water source. And so Ahaz is outside the city fortifying the defenses of the city's life source, its water, and God sends Isaiah out with this message of hope and a message of courage. And he says this in verse 7 to 9, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And then this challenge to this king, this ungodly king, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. What Ahaz is giving is an offer, is given is an offer of grace, an offer of mercy by the Lord. Ahaz, this may be the greatest opportunity and the greatest challenge and the greatest test of your leadership to date. The greatest opportunity for you to put your faith and your trust in the living God. Because I can tell you what is going to happen. These kings are indeed going to invade. But they will not prevail. Yes, there is going to be some initial defeat. And as you read the context, there is. There will be pain. There will be loss. But God is going to defend his own. And these two smoldering stumps are going to be defeated. So Ahaz, stand firm in your faith, man. Stand firm in your faith. The Lord's going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. What is being said there? That a child is going to be born and he is going to eat curds and honey. He's going to have the blessings of the land, like the cheese curds and the honey. These are sweet things. He's going to be living in a time of peace and prosperity but before the time he knows good and evil. Because before that time, these two kings are going to be defeated. What God is saying to Ahaz is remember man who you serve. Remember the God that you've actually turned your back on. Return to the Lord. Do not stand in fear of this invading army. And so now I'll say this, that if Ahaz was giving a, given a reading assignment, like I said of Joseph, I can't think of any better reading assignment than Psalm 46. So we're going to read through it together. 
Psalm 46, 11 verses, it was a song in three stanzas. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I don't know if you're in this room and you're in a time of trouble, you need to read this psalm. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, at, at, at its swelling there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, here it is, is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, shut up. It really is that strong in the original language. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And you have to say amen, right? What Ahaz, this not God-fearing man, is being told Ahaz, if you would just put your faith and trust in the living God, if you would just relax Emmanuel, the name of God, who is with us, that he can and will rescue and save and redeem and restore. Now, we don't have time to go much further. I mean, this is an amazing text. And if you have time this week, I would encourage you, read through at least Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. They are critical as this story unfolds. Because what happens is Isaiah goes home to his wife, and his wife gets pregnant. We are told, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Syria, Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So in other words, before this boy is old enough to know good and evil, right and wrong, these kings are going to be defeated. Before this little boy now in your household, this is a sign to you. And then chapter 8, the Lord takes Isaiah aside and he counsels him. And he says to Isaiah, all of these things that you have seen unfold in the nation around you, you need to fear and trust in me. And they are fascinating words. They are almost, given 2020 and the times that we live in are 2022, I guess. Given the day that we live in, they are almost eerily applicable to the times that we are living in right now. Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the leader, Isaiah the pastor, the shepherd, you need to know this. Verse 11 to 13, the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Is this not applicable to our day? In our day and age, when so many people are freaking out and are filled with fear and are filled with dread and who are listening to all manner of conspiracy theories and the Lord is saying, would you stop listening to the nightly news? Would you stop freaking out about the latest blog post? Isaiah, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. 
The Lord Almighty is the only one that you should fear. He goes on in verse 14, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. And you see, this is the fun part about reading Isaiah from our day and age with our New Testaments in your hand. Because as you're reading through Isaiah, the bell is going ding, 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 ding. In your brain. That's what it does, at least in my brain. I've seen this before. I've heard this before. I've read this before. This sounds familiar. And what it is being said is the Lord is sending one who is going to be both a sanctuary for his people and also a stone of stumbling for those who will not believe, those who will not see and hear and understand, for those who reject. Does that not sound familiar when you read the New Testament? They stumbled over him. They didn't get it. They didn't see him. It didn't make sense to them. And what God is saying is, Isaiah, there are dark days ahead. But in the darkness, a great light is going to shine. And it gets very, very specific. It gets so exciting. Because as you get into chapter 9, it specifically gives us a location. It says, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, chapter 9, the people who walk in darkness are going to see a great light. Remember John chapter 1? The light has come into the world. Isaiah 9 then goes on to say this, For unto us a child is born, this great Christmas text. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. And then this sentence is the best. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Woo! Jesus is the stability that we need in chaotic times. Okay, good, go home. In a dark chapter of Israel's history, under the leadership of a horrible king, a politician who probably was not high in the polls, in a time of upheaval and coming judgment, in a time when the Lord had actually lifted his hand from the nation, God promises in those times, deliverance is going to come. If you would only get your eyes off the conspiracies and off the nightly news and off the word of the street, and if you would get your eyes, if you read it in the text, take time to read it, get your eyes back on the word of God. It says, return to the law and the testimony. Get back to this central focus. And there is an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy in that Isaiah's son is born and the defeat of these two kings, Rezin and Ramalia. But there is an even greater yet to be fulfilled promise. A light is going to dawn in darkness and a deliverer for God's people will one day arise, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, fast forward to Matthew chapter one. Joseph you have nothing to fear in taking Mary to be your wife because this child is here to finally fulfill the promise given through Isaiah. So you go back to Matthew 1 and you think about the story. 
And the macro story is still that Israel is not yet free. The macro story is that they're still living under the authority of foreign domination. Now, Caesar may be a benevolent dictator, but he is a dictator nonetheless. And Israel is not enjoying the promised theocratic world that they longed for, that you will be my people and I will be your God, that you will not need an earthly king because I myself will be your king, and that there is a day coming, a promised day, when one of David's sons will sit on this throne and he will rule and reign and there will be no end to his kingdom reign. It's the theme that fills our Christmas carols all the way through them. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And most explicitly, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Ransom, captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to thee, O Israel. You see, the expectation of the Jewish nation was that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come and he would rescue them from political tyranny. And the truth is, listen carefully, the truth is that that promise is indeed the promise of the Messiah that there is coming a day when King Jesus is seated on David's throne and he is ruling and reigning over the nations and there is no end to his eternal reign. That day is coming, but not yet. Because in his first advent, he came to us as the suffering servant. He came to free us, not from political oppression, but from the oppression of our sin. Last weekend's message, you will call him Jesus because he will save you from your sin. To free us from the weight and the penalty and the power of sin. To offer us the path of right relationship with the Father and therefore right relationship with each other. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The good news that God saves sinners. But what did Joseph hear? What did he understand? Like many in his day, he was more than likely looking for political freedom, not spiritual freedom. And more than likely, Joseph was not thinking so much about the macro story of the nation at that moment in time. He was thinking, he had to have been thinking about the implications, the very practical, pragmatic, significant implications staring him in the face right now in this moment in time. I've got a pregnant fiance and the child is not mine. You're telling me, God, don't freak out. Well, that sounds awesome. You say you've got this, that you're with me, and that all is well and good, but I'm the one who gets to live it out. I am the one who's going to get all the sideways glances from family and friends. We are not stupid people. We know how babies are made. It's fine that I know. And it's great that Mary knows. And it's awesome, God, that you know that we have not been together. But will anyone else believe us? I can just imagine the gossip that is going to be flying around our little village. 
And so in his greatest personal storm, Joseph is told by God, don't freak out, I am with you. And what is most significant and we must take note of is that God does not reverse his plan. God doesn't say to Joseph, okay, okay, I get it. I see the pressure that you're under. You know what? Nobody knows yet. Let's just start over. Let's call it a mulligan. We'll come up with a different plan. Instead, the promise that Joseph gets is simply this. I am with you. And in that promise, we get a glimpse into the nature and the character of our amazing God. That in the midst of your chaos and in the midst of your pain, Emmanuel, God with us. And there may be times that God steps in and reverses the course to reverse the path that we are on. And so we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray that broken lives will be remended and reconciliation will happen. And at times, God answers in miraculous ways. God does heal. He restores. He reconciles. But there are other times when broken relationships are not mendable, when he doesn't heal. And when the restoration that we personally long for is not yet happening. And even then, and maybe most importantly then, he sits on the throne of the universe and he is still orchestrating the path of your life for his glory and for our ultimate good and our joy. And that even in the face of the greatest pain and obstacle and chaos, he cries out to us, my name is still Emmanuel. I am still God with you. I am here in your pain. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And so we fast forward to Christmas 2022, and I don't have a clue about the specifics of what's going on in your life. But I know the macro story of our world. And I know the freaking out that seems to be driving so much of our cultural moment that we're in right now. We wonder how much worse can it possibly get? Wars and rumors of wars, protests and dissensions, ethnic conflict, racism, sexism, all forms of socioeconomic disparity. The bottom line is this. There are days it feels like in this Western world we're just tipping on the edge of this great abyss and just wondering when is it all going to blow up in our faces? And God steps into this world with a promise of incredible hope that there is coming a day of restoration. There is coming a day when wars will cease, when peace will rule and reign, when the weapons of war will be beaten into garden tools, we are told, when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, when King Jesus sets up his kingdom reign, and we wonder, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Even so, Lord Jesus, come, the book of Revelation says. And you understand that cry, do you not? Even so, Lord Jesus, come, please come. And into that instability, God gives us this promise. Unto you a child is born. Call him Jesus. He will save from sin. He is the promised one, Emmanuel, whom they call God with us.
And so we look back on the first advent of Christ and we look forward with joy, with longing on the tip of our toes to the second advent. And in the meanwhile, we live these little micro stories of instability and chaos, of pain and hurt and life not going the way that we might hope. And we wonder, where do we turn in times like these? And the answer is here, the most intimate name of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And I don't know what you're facing today, but God knows. And I can tell you that there is one who wants to walk the story with you. So some of you live alone. And I need to tell you that if you're a child of God, you are never, ever alone because God is with you. Some of you are grieving because you've buried someone you love this year. And you are in the thick of grief and you need to know that God is with you. Some of you have been to the doctor and the news is not good. Some of you are watching the inflation rate and your investment portfolios. Some of you are looking at relationships, children or parents or whatever it might be, and it is not good news. And what you need to know in the midst of this is that Jesus is the stability we need in chaotic times. And the call to Joseph, the original call to Ahaz, and the call to us today is that phrase, be firm in your faith. And so, friends, I need to remind you that our God is a God who walks with us in intimate relationship. He is God with us. And that the only fear that we should be worried about is the fear of the Lord. No other fear should be occupying your mind. And the comfort and the abiding presence of God is our strength. And friends, if we were given a reading assignment for 2022, I cannot think of any better reading assignment for us than Psalm 46. It is filled with the witness of God. Our God is an ever-present help in trouble. The mountains will quake and the nations will roar. The storm waves will crash, but he is an ever-present help. So be quiet and know that he is God. He will be exalted. He is with us. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Let me pray for you. Father, you are indeed the Savior that we need. And the amazing part to this story is that we have nothing to do with it, that you have done everything that needs to be done for us to be right with you. That you have opened wide the invitation that says, whosoever will may come. That God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so, Lord, you give us this free offer, this offer of life, this offer of forgiveness for our sin. The power of sin is broken the penalty of sin has been paid for. Ultimately, Lord, the presence of sin will be banished from our lives. And yet, Father, we live in these in-betweens. And so, Lord, I know, I know many stories and I know there are many that we will never, ever know because they are in the privacy of our lives. There are men and women in this room, even right now at this Christmas season in 2022, who are in a time of trouble. And Lord, you know all about it. 
And Father, I pray more than anything else that you by your Holy Spirit would seal the words, this precious, precious name of our Savior would be embedded, would be burned, would be branded into their soul, Emmanuel, the name that God is with us. And that in their aloneness, in their grief, in their sickness, in their pain, in their fear, whatever it is, Lord, that this image of Emmanuel, this God with us, would be emblazoned on our souls. And then, Lord, that that challenge to Ahaz would be true of us, that we would stand firm in our faith. God, we don't know what the future days hold, but we know that you are there already. You are the one who holds our lives. And so, Father, we must surrender to you again, anew and afresh, to say you are our strength, you are our joy, you are our rock, you are our fortress, you are God with us. Oh, Father, may it be true. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.